Tomorrow we celebrate Labor Day. It's a day to honor the workers of America that helped to make this the wonderful country that it is. And since there is going to be an emphasis on workers, I thought it would be appropriate today to look at our importance as workers in the kingdom of God. Looking at Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul writes this, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Transgressions is a fancy word for sin. Let me explain to you what he's talking about. What do you mean we're dead? You see, we are made in the image of God. God made us like him. Three parts, one person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but yet just one. We also have three parts. We have a body, (laughs) such as it is, a soul, our mind, our intellect, our emotions, uh, and then we have a spirit. Now, when we are born into the earth, because of the sin of Adam that came and passed on to all men and women, we are born stillborn. The spirit part of us is unresponsive. This is the aching hole that people feel inside of themselves as they grow into life. And many people do many different types of things trying to fill that hole. I think some, that you know, if I can just make enough money and get enough things, that that will satisfy that urge. Of course, it's an exercise in futility, does not work. Others think, well, maybe if I just party hardy and, and do drugs, alcohol, sex or whatever, this, this, this will make me come alive on the inside, but it doesn't. You still stay dead. People think some religion, if I, they, they, they need to have enough sense that, the, that God is the answer. But they don't go to the true God. They, they go to various religions and different things and meditations and stuff that they try to do, exercises, prayers, all in a desperate attempt to touch God. But again, it it doesn't really fix the problem. Jesus said that you have to be born again. What's he talking about? He's talking about that spirit part of us that's still born. God comes and he touches that and it comes alive. And for the first time in your life, you feel complete. You feel whole. How many of you remember when you first truly experienced Christ in your life? Man, everything changed in you. It was like... Wow. I mean, I got saved. I had no idea what had really happened. I was dumb as a brick. But good grief. I knew something was changed. I felt whole. The grass was greener. The birds sang prettier. I don't know. If you would have said, what happened to you? I'd go, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) And this is where people talk about being born again, or I saw the light, or these different... What they're trying to use is some kind of phraseology to describe this incredible transformation that Paul's writing about here. That while we were dead in our sins... Through Christ, boom, he makes us alive. Wow, how cool is that? He says, it is by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace that this happens. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work your way into it. You can't just be nice enough to the neighbors that this will suddenly happen for you. You, you can go you join the Peace Corps and suffer horribly all your life for the benefit of others. It still will not save your soul. The only way this can happen is through the grace of God. Through trusting in what Jesus Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago. He, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, died for us. He took our punishment so that we could have life. This is essentially the Christian message. That you can have the life of God in you. And it is quite fabulous. And then he says, and then God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? Why would God do that with a bunch of losers like us? 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. I just have to think about what this what this means. Now we are in essence in the greatest halftime show in eternity. It really is. What has happened was there was this huge rebellion in heaven. Satan, Lucifer, rebels against God. We all know the story, right? Now, now what happens is we know what Satan's motivation was. He was drop dead gorgeous. He was the most beautiful angel, and he thought, "Man, I'm so good looking. I ought to be in charge." All right. We know what motivated him, but incredibly, and and you got to give him his due. Give the devil his due in this case. You know what he did was incomprehensibly evil. But to be able to convince a third of all of heaven to rebel against God, wow. Have you ever wondered what he said? You see, it's one thing for him to fool us. We're dumb as bricks. We don't know what's going on. Half the time, you know, it takes great discernment just to figure out what voice is from God and what one's from the devil. Right? You got to grow and mature just in that. I mean, we don't know what's going on. You know, we're, we're numbed by sin, failure, the hardships of life, you know, and, and it's easy for him to fool us. But how could he fool other angels? I mean, it's not like heaven was a bummer. You know, so we're talking like Hawaii, 365, man. I mean, it's, it's there like all the time. Everything's perfect. It's great. How do you convince a third of those people that, you know, something here is just not quite right? <laughs> I mean, seriously. But yet he pulls it off. We don't know what he said to them. But I have a guess. My guess is it's the same thing he says to you and to me. You're not good enough. God doesn't care about you. You're a loser. He doesn't want to really bless you. You can't really trust the Bible. Better just to trust yourself. Do what you can do. God doesn't really, really care about you. He doesn't really love you. He loves people, but not you. You just happen to be a people. He's stuck with you. These kinds of thoughts that come into your head. I believe what Satan did in an incredibly convincing way is convince a third of heaven that God's way was not the best way, that God, in fact, didn't really love and care for them, and that if you follow me, I'll make a difference. So they do this incredibly stupid move. Now, seriously, do the math. You got one third of angels on your side. You're going up against two-thirds. This is a bad plan from day one. But they try this rebellion nonetheless. And God steps forward and then flicks him out of heaven like a booger. (laughs) And he crashes, the Bible says, to this watery planet called Earth. Now, you have to understand something. What has been decided so far? Nothing. Except that God is stronger. He miscalculated. I think God just very quietly let his incredible creation do what they do. They misinterpreted his willingness to let free will go as weakness. And when they challenged God, God down they went. It would be like me getting into an argument with some big dude in here and he punches my face in, which would be pretty easy because I'm not very big. What what would be accomplished? All we know is that he's bigger. 
All we know is he's stronger than me. It doesn't really settle the argument. You see what I'm saying? The argument hasn't been settled. We're arguing. He punches my lights out. All of heaven watches this. Boom, crash. Now they're all waiting for the next hammer to come down, which is judgment and sending them to hell. Despite what people think, Satan is not in hell. He's not a little demon running around with thorns and a pitchfork, you know, watching people fry like eggs, okay? He's not even there. He's still roaming around on this planet. And by the way, when you see horrible things in the world, genocide, war, death, destruction, famine, don't do the stupid things so many people do. How come God lets that happen? Why would God allow... Hello? God's got nothing to do with it. Where's it come from? I don't know. Satan. He's still there. He hates you, by the way. Because every time he looks at you, it reminds him of God. Now, he's waiting for this big hammer to fall. And all of heaven's like, whoa, whoa, what just happened? And they're looking for God's next move. And he comes down to the planet Earth. And he starts dinking around. And everybody says, what's he doing? I don't know, he's dinking around. And, and he pushes back the water and he brings the earth out and creates life and he turns the lights on. Ching, sunshine, moon, stars. Ching, 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 ching. And all of a sudden, and everybody's like, what's he doing? I don't know, he's digging around. And, and, and the angels, and then he takes and he makes man into his own image and he breathes the breath of life into this creature that's like and looks like God. Well, Satan's mortified by this. What is going on? And then this incredible existence starts happening. Now, what they're waiting for is still yet to come, the judgment. When you read the New Testament, and Jesus came along and there were people who were possessed by demons, these fallen angels who are still tormenting people in the earth today. Um, Do you remember what they would do? They would freak out, and they'd start crying out. Oh no, have you come to, to torment us now? Are you here to torment us now? Because they know it's coming. And Jesus would just say, shut up. And he'd throw them out. Set the person free. And, and, but this would happen over and over and over again. Why? Because they know it's coming, but it's still not coming. What is he doing? He's still dinking around. And he's doing it with you and me. And what he's doing is he's giving it. And see, God is in his power. I think he's very, very quiet. I think what he's doing is he's showing his hand. What he's doing, this incredible challenge has gone out. Again, a challenge you and I can't even begin to comprehend. A third of eternity turns against a perfect world. An incredible rip in the fabric of eternity. Challenging God's love and kindness. And now, everybody's watching what happens as people decide either to follow God or to follow Satan. And as they look and they see those who follow Satan, this is death, destruction, famine, horrid, of genocide, wars, filthiness. And those who God blesses. Life, success, prosperity in their lives. You have to understand. When God is doing all this. Now let's go back and read this verse again. He does all this. Why? So that in order in the coming ages. In the ages he does all this with you. So that in the ages to come. He can show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to you. So that if ever again in eternity, and by the way, this is all coming to an end very quickly. There's not much time left here and this whole thing's going to be done with. Judgment will come. 
and a new heaven and a new earth and all eternity will be reset. And if ever again, if ever again, the very thought that God does not care, that God is not merciful, that his ways are not the best, if that ever surfaces again throughout the eons of eternity, God will point to you and say, look at her. Look at him. And we'll go, seriously, dude, I was messed up. (laughs) I don't know, nothing. And he died for me. And he changed my life. And and he gave me hope where there was nothing but despair and peace, where there was nothing but fear and success, where there was nothing but failure. This is what God wants to do in your life. This is a glorious thing that we're part of here. And God's doing this to shut up Satan by blessing you, which makes him hate you even more. Make no mistake, Satan really hates you. He hated you before all this. Now he really hates you. Then he goes on, he says, for it's by grace that you've been saved. All of this happens, happens through faith. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not from yourself, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So the number one statement here, one, we cannot earn the salvation of God through what we do. We cannot be born again on our own strength. We cannot take on this incredible value that God wants to bless our lives based on anything we do. You know, and, and by the way, don't be discouraged if your life is a complete disaster. Some people come to Jesus and their lives are such a mess. And they feel bad because they've been through, you know, financial failures. They've been through 27 marriages. They've been through everything's horrible. And, and they're a failure. And they think God must not care much. You have to understand, when you're a big mess, God looks at you and smiles. Because here's an opportunity to show his incomprehensibly beautiful grace so that you will forever be a shining star by blessing and turning your life around don't be discouraged man there's nobody here mess up God doesn't look at you and go oh I don't know what I'm going to do with him it's amazing now let's look at James the second chapter the apostle James comes along he says what now what good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds he doesn't do anything can such faith save him? Now, see, this is, this is the debate that happened even back here. It started here. Uh, although it's really not so much of a, a strong debate here, it gets much worse. Uh, one of the things that you've always seen in Christianity is this pendulum tends to swing on so many issues. We're just like out of control. But uh, why God puts up with us, oh man. Anyway, one is that everything's by faith. All you have to do is believe. And the other is that, no, you've got to do stuff. Okay? Now, at one time, and, and it... It's always swinging. At times in Christian history, it's swung in very strong extremes. A thousand years ago, the church, which at that time the only church was the Catholic church, uh, had really swung to the extreme. But the only way you can get to heaven is you've got to work your way at it. You've got to pray enough prayers. You've got to do enough penance. You've got to buy your way in. And they literally gotten so corrupt that they tried to sell forgiveness of sins. It was called indulgences. You could buy them. This is how they raised money. They come and if you pay X amount of money, you could buy it for you. I mean, it was totally out of control. This is what gave birth to the Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther comes out and says, dudes, this is insane. This is crazy. This is not supposed to be like this. We are saved by faith. It's not by what we do. And hence the Reformation. And again, it's been swinging ever since. If anything, my argument is that in the last 30 years in particular, 50 years or so, uh, the Christian church, evangelical church, like, like what we're talking, Protestant churches, have really swung the other way. For some reason, we take these swings. 
And evangelical Christians have spent untold millions of dollars having huge campaigns and television campaigns, crusades, everything, all in an effort just to get people to pray a prayer. That's all we really have. If you just believe, if you just believe, pray this prayer, it's all a matter, you'll go to heaven. A little bit simplistic, okay? Because people have gotten the idea we've actually created millions of Christians today who believe it doesn't matter what they do. I believe. They still live like hell. Okay? Fornicating, lying, stealing, cheating. I mean, you can already tell the difference between them and a pagan. And you challenge them on it, and they look at you like, oh, I believe. I prayed the prayer. I prayed the all matters. And what James is going to say, you who? That's not enough to say, I believe. That's not what Paul was talking about. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And then one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. I love you. Bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. I'm behind you. I'm so far behind you. You can't see me, but I'm really behind you. I love you. God bless you all. And you say all the right things. He said, but if you do nothing about his physical needs, who cares? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it's not accompanied by some action, is dead. By the way, <laughs> Martin Luther didn't like the book of James because of this statement, because he really swung the other way real hard. In fact, he thought the book of James should be taken out of the Bible. Calm down, Martin, you're cool. <laughs> but someone says, well, you have faith and I have deeds. And he challenged them, said, you show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And then he has this brilliant little statement. He says, you believe there's a God. Whoop, he stinking do. Even the demons believe that. The devil believes in God. What good's it going to do him? Jack squat. All right, just believing people is not enough. In fact, it's really not what Paul said in the first place. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. And then his very next words say, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this idea that all you got to do is believe it, no matter what you do, is absurd. Now you cannot buy salvation and grace and forgiveness, but the idea that that's all you just believe and nothing else is ridiculous. It's not what Paul taught. It's never what the Bible taught. You have to do the right things. So number two, even though we were saved by grace and not by works, it is imperative that we do works once we have been saved. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now when you read the New Testament, you will see two distinct judgment days coming. The first one, trust me, you are no part of. This is the judgment of the wicked. This is the white throne judgment that we read about in the book of Revelation. This is when Satan... And all of his angels and all the people who align themselves with him will stand before God, be judged, and be thrown into hell for eternity. That's when he gets his comings, and then we're done with it. We're not there yet. There's still a big pause. You and I are part of the pause to demonstrate God's grace. But this day is coming. So thank God we who come to faith in Christ are not headed for that judgment day. But we are going to have a judgment day. But it's a different judgment day. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to come before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says. And so what? So that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we will have to give an account for what we do. 
My question is, what are you doing? What are you doing, for heaven's sakes? You got to do something. You can't just sit and believe. Now, I love it that you sit, or I'd have no one to talk to. (laughs) But you got to do more than that. And all you people who watch us on TV, listen to me. Come close to the TV set. I want to talk to you. All right. Now, we appreciate it that so many of you watch, thousands of you watch all across central and northeastern Wisconsin. Uh, But we do this in a way to share the good news uh, with people who've never really heard the good news about God and for those who can't get to church anywhere else. Uh, But there's thousands of you who watch us every Sunday. I know you tell me all the time. I run across people all the time. We love watching every Sunday. Get off your butt and go to church. Okay? Yes. Now... I mean, I've, I've even had people say, oh, we love, we love listening to you on TV. We even get together with friends every Sunday and watch you on TV. Hello? Go to church for heaven's sakes. Again, we appreciate it that you listen. We really do. But you just listening and believing in Jesus is not going to cut it for you. You, like the rest of us, will someday stand before God. What do you do with your faith? Are you involved? Part of the Christian uh, experience. I was going to say experiment. It's not an experiment. (laughs) I don't know. Someone's an experiment. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But the Christian experience is to join together with others and so that we can do things together to serve God and serve our communities and serve one another. It's important that you do. All right? And again, thankful for those who at least come. But even a lot of you, bless your picking hearts. Come, but you never do anything. Now, I understand there's different seasons in life for people. And there's different levels of faith where people are at. A lot of people come, they're not even sure I'm insane or not. You know, I get that. All right. So that's cool. Once you work past that, that's good. But at some point, you need to move on. And you need to get involved. And again, there's seasons of, of, of life. I mean, some of you with the little tiny rugrats at home that peel your brain like a banana, you know, you probably don't have a lot of free time to get involved in church. I get that. It's fine. Okay? Some of you guys, you know, you're starting careers, you're trying to get your business going, and it takes, you know, every ounce of your energy day and night to do that. I get it. It's a season of life. It is, though, one of the reasons why it's important for you to give when you come to church. Because when you give financially out of what you've earned, it gives eternal validation to what you've done. If you don't give, then all your work is just narcissistic self-centeredness. Every time you write a check into the kingdom of God, even though you might not have free time at this point in your life, you're saying, my work has eternal value, and here is why. It's important. And I get So you know, some of you, you won't have a whole lot of time to serve. But even there's small areas that you can get involved in and serve. Don't just not do anything. Why? Because someday you will stand before God. And he's going to hit the TiVo button and play back your life. What's he going to see? What did you do? Did you do anything? So number three, even though we will be spared by the judgment day of the wicked, we still will have our own judgment day, and on that day we will be judged according to what we do. And then in conclusion, let's look at Matthew, the 21st chapter. Jesus is talking. He says, what do you think? (laughs) I love that. Because we don't think. Huh? 
What do you think, boys? Wake up. Think, 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 think. Are you thinking, he says. And he gives a story, a parable. So there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he says, I don't want to work in your vineyard. I hate your stupid vineyard. Your vineyard bites, man. I hate it. Out there sweating like a pig. I got things to do. I got the game's going to be kicking off in about 20 minutes. I ain't got time to go to the vineyard. I got stuff to do. I'm an important man. I'm a real man. I got a stupid thing. I don't want you to do a stupid thing. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son. Said the same thing. Hey son. Let's go. Let's go work. And he says, oh thank you. Thank you. What a great opportunity. I just love the work. I just love this. I'm very good with people you know. I'm very, I'm very talented. I'm very good. But I really feel it in my heart. In my heart, I just, I just feel I'm so excited about doing this. This is great. This is wonderful. But he never went. Remember what Jesus asked. What do you think? And he asked us this, this question. He said, which of the two did what his father wanted? And they replied correctly first one first one who didn't want to do it but he did it listen to me don't let how you feel about opportunities of serving determine whether or not you serve at some level all service fights it does it's, it's called, it's really below almost everybody's skill set here. I mean, seriously. I mean, look at all the different service opportunities you have here. You can, you can stand and hand out bulletins as people walk in. It doesn't take a lot of intelligence to do that. I don't want to stand there and Who wants to do that? How many want to stand and smile at people as they come in the door? People you don't know. I don't want to do that. You want to do that? I don't want to do it. How many of you want to come early and, and pour a little wine into little tiny cups and get bread so you can hand it out to people? Who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. Who wants to go and work with little snot-nosed little rascals? <laughs> screaming their brains out for an hour. You want to do that? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. I don't. How many of you want to write a check? I don't want to do that. I don't. I want to keep all of it. Every last penny. (laughs) How many would like to keep every penny you get? How many would love not to pay taxes? Do you know how much money you'd have if you didn't have to pay the obscene taxes we got to pay? I'm a big fan of that idea. (laughs) Of course, now I don't have a choice there. They'll throw me in jail if I don't give it to them. Come to church, I've got an option. I don't want to do that. How many sitting at home would like to get up and get dressed and come to church? I don't do that. Don't 
think because you don't want to do something. Most opportunities to do something to help somebody stinks. You don't want to do it. Who wants to stand in line and, and give soup to people who don't have anything to eat? You want to do that? I don't want to do it. Who wants to change the oil for someone who doesn't know how to change the oil and doesn't have money to go get their oil changed? Do you want to do that? I don't want to do that. I don't really want to do much of anything. I want to sit on my butt and watch TV. That's what I like to do. This is a joy to my soul. <laughs> now, do I just sit around and watch TV? No. What I do, I serve. I give. I travel. I do all kinds of things. What I like, you know, I just like to stay home and play with my grandkids every day. That's what I like to do. They're a lot of fun, those little rats. I don't want to go to work. How many want to go to work? I don't want to go to work. I hate work. Why? Because it's work. I don't want to do anything. Don't let your want to determine whether or not you do something. Because the first son was honest. He says, son, go work in my vineyard. No! I don't want to do it. It's awful. It's horrible. I can't stand people. People are smelly. They're impatient. They're rude. They park all over kingdom come. They don't pay attention to anything. Their kids scream. The little ones poop their pants for heaven's sakes. Don't, don't let what... You want to determine that? You know, there's millions of Christians, millions of them, who've been involved in church for 10, 20, 30 years and have done nothing, absolutely nothing. And while they're not honest enough to admit they just don't want to, they spiritualize and say, well, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. That's what they say. Little snot-nosed brats is what they are. You see, they're like the second said, oh, I'd really love to, oh, oh, I just love that, I just love, oh, I was looking for that, something I really love to do, and then they never do it anyway. Our final point is, what we intend to do, and what we want to do, or do not want to do, is of little interest to God. It doesn't matter what you want to do. It doesn't matter what you don't want to do. Doesn't matter what you intended to do. I intended to do. Oh, I really wanted to. I wanted to work in the vineyard. I told him. I have a right there. My brother didn't say, but I said I really wanted. To. I just never got around to doing it. You think God cares about that? You are delusional. God doesn't care what you intended. Then we just came through the summertime. Don't forget God. This summer, the church has done very, very well this year. Probably better than any year I can remember. Thank God for that. But still, we drip financially because. Some people just forgot. Oh, I forgot. I was going to do something. I was going to, you know, it doesn't matter what you intended. It only matters what you do. We in the United States of America really think what really matters is what you intend. In fact, we think that if you do something you don't want to do, then you're just a hypocrite. You're just a hypocrite. We got people walking out on their marriages today. Not in this church, hopefully. But all over America. Christians who will walk out of the marriages today. Because they'll say, well, I don't want to be here anymore. And if I stay, I'm just being a hypocrite. 
I gotta be honest with my feelings. You know, I gotta and they firmly vomit over everybody in their family. Blah, blah, blah. I hate you, I hate you, blah, I hate you. Gotta be honest with my feelings. And we as Americans we celebrate that. Oh yeah, you have to be honest. I don't care about what you want to do. God doesn't care about what you want to do. God cares about what you do. Let's face it, sometimes you don't you don't want to deal with your kids. You ever feel that? Anybody, if your kids are here, close your eyes while your parents raise their hands. But uh, you don't want to deal with it. Have you ever felt like you didn't want to deal with your spouse? Don't raise your hands. But, 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 but you know what I'm saying. When you're thinking, you know, you look at them and they're sleeping and you think, you know, if I just hold the pillow, just... Just, just right. It ends all now. You know what I'm saying? You know, have you ever had thoughts? You know what I'm talking about? Where you just don't want to deal with them anymore, and people are driving you crazy. And and our culture says, "Well, that, all that matters is how you feel." No, 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 no. The kingdom of God doesn't care what you feel. If anything, you'll never really succeed in life until you learn not to live by how you feel. Because as long as you live by how you feel, you'll be a disaster. What we need is to develop a culture of people who are willing to serve and love and care for each other. And we never ask ourselves the question, do I want to do it? Who wants to do that? You know, we got guys who volunteer uh, at, at the Packer games, serving hot dogs, all this kind of stuff. And they raise, how much money did we raise last year? $20,000 for the church. They're hoping to hit 30000 this year. And I'm hoping right along with them. Have you volunteered for that? I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to either. I don't want to do it. I'd rather sit at home in front of the TV. I can't do it because I got to preach to you. (laughs) I can't get over there, but I've done the preseason games and stuff. I mean, it's an opportunity to serve. We don't ask ourselves, do I want to do it? Especially when it's hot. And you're sweating like a pig back there, cooking hot dogs. Who wants to do that? You want to sweat like a pig, cooking hot dogs when people are running in and out, watching a game you can't watch? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. But we do it. Why? Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we want. What's important is that when we see opportunities... And it's within our ability to help that we help. That's what will be pulled before us and shown when we stand before God on that day. I'm going to invite our ushers to come, get ready to serve communion. Our musicians can come back up. So number one, you cannot earn your salvation by what you do. Number two, even though we are saved by grace and not by what we do, it is imperative that you do once you get saved. Number three, it's vitally important because someday we will stand before God to be judged by what we did. And finally, don't let your feeler determine what you do or don't you do. Can you? Is really the only question. Can I do this? Yeah. Don't ask yourself, do I want to do it? 
Not even some feeling, some buzz, something. I was at the West Side just before I came in here to preach. They had some great opportunities of, of volunteering. They're getting together and they're going to go out throughout their neighborhoods in the West Side and, and give out flyers and stuff in homes to let people know about the church. Anybody want to do that? I won't do that. I'd rather sit on my boat. They're putting together packets so they can give away to people in need. Hand out little bags. What am I, a bag lady? I don't do that. Looking for teachers to help once or twice a month with little snot-nosed rugrats. I don't do that. Those guys have to set up and tear down every Sunday. All their sound system and everything got to set up and tear down. They're looking for volunteers to help. Would you want to do it? I wouldn't want to do it. Would I do it? Oh, yeah. When we were in Stevens Point, when we first started the church there, I was seven, uh, seven years ago, something like that. You know who set it up and tore it down every Sunday? Me. Me and Ross. The great mighty pastor. I'm running cords down. I'm taking tape. Putting the tape down. Run around, running cords, testing stuff, setting up chairs. Ah, ah, ah. Did I want to do that? No. I don't want to do it. Why did I do it? Because I could. It needed to be done. Thankfully, we got others to volunteer to do it. Praise God. But then I found something else I could do that I didn't want to do. Wow. Well, where are you at this morning with all of this? Have you started at least with the number one thing? Being saved by God's grace. Are you still walking around dead on the inside? Stillborn? Why not put your faith in Jesus today? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. There's nothing you can do to get it. This is where you start by faith. This is where you reach out by faith and you ask God to come into your life, forgive you of your sins. So that he can make you whole and now give you opportunities to do what maybe you don't even want to do. But you do it to honor him and to be a blessing to others. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. If you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life, if you'll pray this prayer with me and really believe this, you can be born again today. If you'll truly surrender on the inside. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus. I believe you are the son of God. That you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.